why in the world would you want to subject your congregation uh, to the mediocrity of, of me preaching? And he said, well, don't forget, they, they listen to me every other week. <laughs> hey, in this case, mediocrity uh, is an upgrade. So um, happy to be here. But I, I really is um, just such a joy and a blessing um, to be with you this morning. My wife, Brittany, and I, Brittany, would you wave at everybody? Uh, my much better half, Brittany, and I were discussing this morning. Just, it's bizarre to us that this is our first time to be here um, at First Methodist Sweetwater. For most of the time that Ryan and Amberly have been here, we've uh, had obligations at our church in Midland on Sunday mornings and haven't been able to to be here. And this is just such a great encouragement um, to my soul to to be here and 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 see your faces and and see the place where where Ryan and Amber and their family are. Are working for the Lord, and, and it's and it's a great encouragement to me as well because y- y'all never knew Ryan before he knew Jesus, um, but I did, um, and and it's 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 funny, but it's also it's just a great reminder that God does big things. Um, he he does, and Ryan, I'm I'm I'm, I'm half joking, but I'm being serious. I, Ryan before he knew Jesus, um, and, I, and I'm not sure how much he's told you of his story, but. Um, he, he was not a, uh, he was a, he was a tough cowboy, uh, and he was the, he was the toughest guy I knew, and I was certainly, um, in our house we had, there were some places where you could cut through the laundry room or the kitchen, or, and if Ryan was in one of those doorways, I generally gravitated to the other one, because he was just, he was a tough, mean, uh, older brother who wanted to toughen up his little brothers, and, uh, he was actually famous in eastern New Mexico in the small, school ranks for his particular brand of toughness on the basketball court, um, which was, I think, more like mixed martial arts with an occasional rebound uh, mixed in there. But to see, I, I became a believer before Ryan did. I became a, a believer. Um, uh, God really started to change my life when I was uh, about the time right before Ryan went off to college. And then when Ryan was at Texas Tech and Jesus got a hold of his life, I got to see first person how God can change someone. And I would have never guessed when I was 10 or 11 years old that Ryan would have been uh, in the place that he is now. And so it's just such a great uh, gift and joy to be with you all this morning. Um, and when Ryan asked me to talk about giving and and uh, and stewardship, I was also reminded of growth because my last vision of him uh, talking about giving and stewardship was when our youth group uh, at Kingswood Methodist Church in Clovis, New Mexico, had a fundraising, I think it was sort of a brisket fundraiser type deal just like that. And one of my cousins and another high school kid got up on the stage with microphones and sang the song that never ends while Ryan and another guy, John Morrow, walked around with popcorn buckets. And they said, we're not going to stop singing until we raise whatever the amount of money was. And so <clears throat> he's also gotten slightly more sophisticated in his uh, in his messaging. Um, so we're, we're going to start with that same uh, scripture passage that we, that we just read right there in Genesis chapter 1, um, verses 26 through 28. It's a little small on the screen, so I'll, I'll read it for you um, just to just to reemphasize a, a couple points here. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion and have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So right here, right off the bat, want to establish real quick just sort of this, uh, this concept of, 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 of where we fall in the ownership, in the equity chain here, okay? Right off the bat, it talks about God creating all these things and He gave us, He gave you and I, He gave male and female dominion over all these things. He essentially made us His stewards, His trustees, His fiduciaries. We are uh, essentially managing something that is not ours. Okay, So in the ownership chain here, the things that we have, the things that we see, those are not ours. Those are things that were created and God gave us dominion over them for His glory. Is that, is that making sense? Can I get just a head nod or two? Okay, I got, okay, we're good. Um, and then even going forward in, in Colossians, Paul talks about, in Colossians 1.16, Paul says, for by Him all things were created, talking about Jesus. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So it's all His. Everything. Every single thing that you and I see every day when we walk out our door from the clouds, from the sun, all the way on down to the dirt, every single thing is His. There is nothing under the sun that God does not claim ownership over. He made it all. It was made through Jesus and for Jesus so that everything in you and I have without exaggeration is His. And I think that's an important thing to drive home because here in West Texas or in Eastern New Mexico where I grew up, we have this, this fantastic work ethic where we work hard and we earn and we, and we, and we do these things. Uh, we're, we're responsible. We, we work hard and we're, you know, all, all these sort of things. But at the end of the day, it's, it's good to be reminded that yes, those are all those are all good things, but at the end of the day, it is all His. It's all God's. I think I saw the other day that Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world now, and I've lost track of the number of hundreds of billions of dollars that he has. Um, and I'm convinced my family has directly contributed to that through Amazon. But um, but if he came to me today and said, Jordan, I want you to run a foundation. I'm going to put all my money into a foundation, and we want to do X, Y, and Z charitable works, and I want you to run it. And I said, great. And then I went around and I said, oh, good to meet you. I'm Jordan Strebeck. I'm a billionaire. Um, that would be wrong. That would be, that would be laughably, laughably wrong because the truth is I wouldn't be a billionaire. I'm just managing the affairs of the billionaire. Jeff Bezos is still the billionaire. I am merely his trustee. I am merely his steward. So I want to get that straight just from the get go while we're talking about stewardship. Um, that when we talk about stewardship, it's ultimately all about Jesus. It's, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So here's the main point that I want to hammer home today, and this is the best way I know to, uh, to summarize it. For us as believers, submission to and affection for God must touch and affect every aspect of our lives. I'm going to repeat that again because I think this is important. This is sort of the foundation upon which we're going to talk about stewardship. Submission to and affection for God must affect every aspect of our lives. That means it has to affect our time, how we spend our time. It has to affect our relationships, 
It has to affect our our work, our school. I know I love the youth group sitting in the front row. Makes me makes me feel at home as a as a former Methodist kid. Um, it has to affect our affections, and yes, it has to affect our money. What everybody loves to talk about, right? Sit down at sit down at uh, lunch with somebody. The first thing you want to talk about is your money. Um, it has to affect our finances. So, how do we steward the resources that God has given us for His name and His glory? Because remember. God made it all. He gave us dominion over it. And now we are to marshal those resources for His glory, for His name. So, how do we steward those resources? I think there are three, three ways that we can, uh, that we can steward those resources this morning. And, and so we, we can walk through these real quick. The first one is, we can keep money in its right priority. Okay? That means don't, don't make a god or an idol out of money or things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with, with being successful. In fact, I think we definitely want to celebrate and encourage that. And scripture is replete um, with examples, with examples of, of holy people who are prosperous, uh, certainly beyond what, what I could even imagine. And so we don't want to demonize that um, by any stretch of the imagination. There's, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with having a nice house or running a profitable business or, you know, uh, you know, building a responsible 401k for retirement, maybe even having a boat. Like there's, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with any of those things. However, we have to keep those in their right place because if we don't, those things turn into idols and little g gods and they make for lousy, lousy, lousy gods. But if we view money as a resource given to us by God and for God, as opposed to something that we own, it can help with that. It can help keep money in its right priority. The second thing is budgeting. Now, some of you guys might be saying, hey, look, you know, I haven't, I haven't had to set a budget since I was, you know, 22 years old. Well, I'm going to challenge you this morning and tell you that I think we all ought to have some sort of budget. Um, if you and I were put in place as trustees for a trust and the beneficiaries came to us and said, hey, we'd like to know how you spent the money from that the, that the trust threw off this year to advance the goals of whatever the trust might be. And we said, you know, I'm not, I don't, I, I don't really know exactly. I could kind of, you know, maybe I can tell you how. I think we might have eaten at Chili's one or two or three too many times. Or I, I don't really, I don't really know how we spent it. Mostly at Chick-fil-A, okay? Mostly at, at, uh, at Chick-fil-A. Well, of course, we would be, you and I would be in breach of our fiduciary duty and we would be rightfully fired. Um, because the truth is that money, again, is, is not ours. It's, it's the trusts and, and we should be held accountable for how it's spent. So these resources are God's and we should, as his stewards, we ought to be forcing ourselves to enable um, some some standards and some 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 safeguards to know where money's coming and go how how it's coming and going. Um, first, this can be a huge tool I think for you and your family, and, and it's not fun. Look, I get it. Um, one of the things Ryan didn't talk about. I studied personal financial planning in college, and I, I worked in wealth management uh, for the first uh, little season right after I got out of, of undergrad. And and I can tell you, um, budgeting is is it's not fun, or maybe it is. Maybe you're an accountant, and God bless you. 
Um, but for, for most of us, the last thing we want to do when we get home is, is bust out the Excel spreadsheet and, and have an argument with our better half about, or not an argument, sorry, not an argument, a discussion about what exactly that, that charge on the credit card from Target was about. Um, so I understand this isn't, this isn't fun, it's not shiny, um, but the truth is it can help us as believers be more generous because we can carve that out as a priority first if we know what we've got coming in and what we've got going out. It can help us provide, it can provide us uh, with more intentionality to our spending so that we're not just wasting money on things uh, that we don't need. And ultimately, it can provide more freedom because when you're operating within that budget and you see that your priorities are in line, then all of a sudden, um, it, those things that, that maybe are, are a little bit of luxury items, you see those in the right light and you have the freedom to enjoy them and you, you, it can help you avoid uh, unnecessary debt as well. So budgeting is kind of one of those common sense things I don't necessarily even have. I'm sure there's some scripture that we could probably use to justify budgeting, but... Um, if we keep money in right party and we budget, it allows us to focus more on this third thing, which is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Now, notice I say giving. I, I don't say tithing. And I think it's a mistake to conflate the two. Um, you know, when I was growing up in church, we talked about tithing. We didn't really talk about giving. Not giving, it was, it was tithing. And of course, um, you know, tithing was a part of the law in, in the Old Testament. It was an old mosaic, part of the old Mosaic covenant derived from the word tenth. So the concept was pretty simple. If you gave 10% of that which you had or that which you made, you're kind of, you're good to go. You know, I gave, gave my 10% and then the other 90, uh, you know, we're good to go. But I think it's a mistake to look at it in that way. And, and here's why. I want to point you to Matthew chapter five, right after Jesus has um, talked about the Beatitudes. In, in verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, for whoever murders will be held liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so what, what Jesus does here when, 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 he's, when he delivers this, what he does is first he drops this absolute bomb that he says, I am the fulfillment of the law. So the law, as you know, its, its primary purpose was to hold up as a mirror to show that even the most righteous, even the Pharisees, could not fulfill every aspect of the law and were in need of a Savior. And so Jesus comes out here and makes this bold claim that He has come to fulfill the law. And then He goes on this kind of this barn burner where He says, you think that you're good because you upheld parts of the law? It was said... Do not murder or you'll be liable to judgment. Well, guess what? I say that if you're, if you've had anger with your brother, you're liable to judgment. He takes it from simply the action portion of things to what? To our hearts. He says the same thing about adultery and lust. Lest any of us should be confused about what this is really about. It's not just about our 
our outward appearance. It's also about what's going on inside us. So he says, hey, Jordan, you think you're great because you've never stabbed a guy? Guess what? I see your heart. More specifically, I saw your heart yesterday during the Texas Tech-Iowa State game. I saw the anger and rage that burned within you. So Jesus takes it straight. That's hypothetically, by the way. Hypothetical. <clears throat> Not, uh... So Jesus takes it straight to the heart of the matter. And I think the same thing, the same concept applies to our giving. To our giving. It's no longer about just checking a box and saying, oh, I give, I give my 10% and then I'm, I'm done. It's about also about our hearts and about how we give. And you see this in Luke in chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus, he doesn't pull any punches with the Pharisees. Um, he says to them in verse 42, he says, but woe to you, Pharisees, exclamation point. Okay, so he's raising his voice a little bit at this point. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's not just about the tithe anymore, folks. We're not going to get off on a technicality. This isn't the IRS. There are no loopholes. This isn't about doing the minimum that we can do for the kingdom of God. It's about our hearts and how we give. So, how do we give? I think there are four things that ought to sort of uh, be traits as to how we as believers, you and I, how we ought to view and approach giving. The first thing is we ought to give generously. And we give generously because to us, to us, much has been given freely and generously. Um, starting, starting at Calvary and going, and going all the way on down the line. We have been the recipients of much generosity, and so we give generously. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this sermon. Um, one of the things that, that, that we've always tried to instill in our kids is that they would appreciate what they had. I, I think my two biggest fears in life are, you know, I kind of got to grow up around a farm and ranch operation, and, and I think my two biggest fears in life are that I would raise city kids that are spoiled or that my kids might go to Texas A&M. Those are like the two. That, I'm just kidding. If I got a couple, I, I, I might. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but so one of the <laughs> so one of the things that uh, that that we've always done is is we try not to spoil kids. We want them to appreciate it. If we if we if, if we give them a piece of candy or something, we want them to understand that it's a treat. Well, an unintended consequence of that is that we've turned them into little warlords. Uh, and so now if you give our, if you give one of our kids a Snickers bar, they turn into Gollum from Lord of the Rings, you know, and they're like, this is my precious. You will not. There is, uh, it's a, it's an unintended consequence. And we saw in contrast this summer, we went to Canacuck family camp with some of our friends and, and, and our friends have a, a really, they have a sweet tooth. I think every one of their teeth has been filled, uh, at this point. And they and and their little seven year old we're, we're traveling up there and their little seven year old pulls out her she's got like a little rolling suitcase and she opens it up and it's like a she's like a Russian arms dealer in the fallen Soviet Union like opening the trunk of a car she opens this and it's just it's there's every kind of candy every what do you want anything and and I watched just with my jaw open as she was she was just 
freely handing it out to my kids and my kids were like taking it like, okay, are you sure? They're like stuffing it in their coat pockets. Like, I don't know. Can I have some more? And, uh, and, and I, I realized that McKenna's approach to candy, she understood that that's not, that's not, that's not really hers. I mean, her, her, her parents give that to her as a good gift and she's never experienced the scarcity of candy. And so she freely gives it away. Um, and so I got to watching the, you know, the, the contrast of that, um, got me to thinking about how we, uh, how we view giving. And I think we ought to approach it an awful lot more with that spirit, with the spirit, um, of McKenna, because we need to believe, we need to have faith that we serve a sovereign God and that He will provide. Amen? We serve a sovereign God and we need to have faith that He will Provide, and I'm not. I don't mean this in a prosperity gospel sense, by the way. I'm, I, I I don't mean this in the sense that, hey, brother, favor of the Lord. If you tithe this morning, God's going to give you a Ferrari. He's not probably. Um, I don't want to say he won't, because uh, I, mean, I I don't I don't want to put put God in the box. But I, that that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that when we freely and generously give to the kingdom of God, and when we give generously and sacrificially, and trust that the Lord will provide for what we need. It might not be to the level of worldly possessions that, that, that we might want, but we have to trust that He'll provide for what we need. And that frees us to give generously because it's not ours. It's something that's, good, that's been given to us and it will be, uh, and, and we will be provided for. The second thing, uh, is we should give joyfully. We should give happily. In 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we ought to give joyfully, happily. This doesn't need to be a thing. I am a cheap, I grew up driving the tractor listening to Dave Ramsey. I'm all about saving nickels and dimes, turning the quarters and dollars. I'm all about that. But this can't be something where, where God's prying it out of our, prying it out of our hands. This is something where we give joyfully and happily. The third thing is we ought to give sacrificially. Um, if we look at Luke uh, in chapter 21, verse 1 through 4, the story where Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. She was certainly not tithing. Jesus says that was all she had to live on. She was giving, and she was giving sacrificially. Now, I'm no biblical scholar. Ryan uh, went, to, uh, went to seminary. I most certainly did not. I didn't even stay in the Holiday Express last night. But the little footnote in my Bible indicates that she gave what are called two lepta. And I'm going to pretend that I know what two lepta are. Um, and I did consult my seminary resource, Google, and uh, and what I learned that basically what the amount that she gave is is the equivalent today of about three percent of a day laborer's wage. So here's a woman who was so poor that giving what Jesus said was all she had to live on would have been the modern day equivalent of two or three dollars. And she put that in the offering box and and I don't know what happened to the rest. Uh, we we don't know what happened to the rest of her story. I don't know if. She walked out of there and as a reward for her faith, there was some 
you know, dead uncle that she didn't know about that left her a great vineyard outside the city, or if she continued in poverty. We have no idea. But what we do know is that Jesus said that she gave more than all of them because she gave sacrificially. The fourth thing is I think we ought to give quietly. We ought to give quietly. We ought to give humbly. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, Jesus said, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we, we ought to give quietly. We ought to give humbly. If the purpose for our giving is so that we can have a brick on the wall with our name on it, and there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that, but if, if the purpose for our giving is so that people will know <clears throat> you know, oh, that that Jordan Strebeck, he's a he's an he's an upstanding, generous guy. He he gives. Jesus shakes his head and, and says, "No, you've already received your reward. So don't don't give like that. Give quietly. Give humbly. So when we approach giving like this, giving becomes less like like checking a box, like a formality, like a uh, something that we just do out of obligation. It becomes less like a pay-to-play transaction that I think sometimes the modern prosperity gospel has distorted giving so badly to where it's like you, like a, like a slot machine. Like you give so that, you know, you give so that you can get some swag on the back end. Um, when we give like this, when we give generously, when we give happily, joyfully, sacrificially, quietly, it becomes much more what it's supposed to be, which is an act of obedience, an act of worship. Our giving is ultimately an act of worship. It's an act of saying, just like we do when we sing together, that, that you are God and I am not. So when we have giving in its right order, it is effectively an act of worship. So, as, as, we re, as, as we recap, if, 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 if we look back on this, what I would want you to really ruminate on over the coming days and week, weeks would be first that, that God made it all. Everything under the sun is His and we are temporary trustees. We are His stewards. So view everything in our lives as just that, a good Gift, And as a result of that good gift, our relationship with Jesus must touch and affect every aspect of our lives. Our relationship with Jesus must touch and affect every aspect of our lives, including our finances. And when it comes to our finances, specifically our giving, God is much more interested in our hearts than He is and our ability to check a box. As Jay said in the beginning, we don't serve a God who needs it. We don't give because if we don't, boy, howdy, if we don't give, God might go broke. He made it all. We are His trustees. God doesn't just care about our ability to check a box. He cares about our hearts, our intents, whether they're, our intent, whether they're being 
whether our soul is being transformed by His grace. So let's, as a people, strive and let's hold each other accountable to give generously, to give joyfully, to give sacrificially, and to give quietly that we might experience that joy of of walking more humbly with our Creator and that He might get the glory. That He might be made much of and that the people, not just of Sweetwater in West Texas, but even beyond, um, would get to see that and feel the impact of that gospel obedience. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Father, this morning we thank You for who You are, for the fact that You're a sovereign God, that we don't serve a needy God, that we serve an omnipotent, all-powerful Creator God. We thank You for the gifts and the resources You've given us, um, whether that is in small amount or in, in absolutely breathtakingly large quantities, God. We praise You for Your goodness and we ask that as a people that You would change our hearts, that our giving would be generous, that our giving would be joyful, sacrificial, and quiet. And that in doing all of this, um, in walking with You hand in hand, and being on mission with You, God, that, um, that we would get the joy and You would get the glory. And it's in Your Son's name we pray these things. Amen.